0: You're listening to Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. We'd like to thank our newest patron, the wonderful Jackson Medicecchia. Thanks for supporting the show, Jackson. If you're able to donate a couple bucks to help the show, please visit patreon.com slash Out. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your host, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen.
1: All right, today on the show, we don't have a guest. We just have uh, your four favorite hosts. And we thought with the uh, the new year, we could dive into some of the things we're working on as coaches. And uh, as as coaches, I think it's really important for us to model that we're improving, we're growing. I know for a long time, I... Uh, just wanted to tell others what to do and wasn't working on my own coaching game. So I thought we'd take a chance to talk about our big rocks and the things we're chipping away at a big rock would be something that's really important uh, as a coach or as a player that you're chipping away at. You picture this big rock where it's not just going to be one day that you're done with it, but you chip and chip and chip. And eventually the, um, you pound the stone enough that it, that it breaks apart. So we, as we, as coaches and, and Billy as a player, uh, have our big rocks, and we'll we'll go to Nils first. To, maybe you can start us off with what you're working on for uh, 2020, the new decade. Do you,
2: do you think, think anyone's still listening? It's it's just us. It's 20. Yeah, no, everybody shut it off as soon as John said we didn't have a guest. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, that's all that matters. We don't do this for others, right? We just do this for our own growth. Uh, yeah, so for me, a little backstory, I took basically the whole 2019 off. Of coaching i just did some private lessons as we moved so uh, i started up the season with the girls club team again and i'm it's it's been really fun to get back back in the saddle and coach it up again i've been having a good time so the things that i've been working on with them is kind of maybe a reintroduction to the things that i knew were important and maybe went away from or forgot about. And now I'm coming back to, as as I kind of start over with a completely new, new club, new area, new everything, uh, and kind of have to build up my own equity again. Uh, so first big rock for me is just how important culture is. Um, and I, I just, I, I don't think there's any one thing that's more important than making sure that you do the work, uh, on your culture and making sure that it is, Clear about what is important to you, and so, to that effect, um, I've been doing some work trying to just make sure that everything is clear and and kind of articulating what is the work and what does that work look like. And I came across uh, somebody that I worked with at Winward. Actually, I re- rekindled a conversation with her. Her name is Pam Hirth, and she's been awesome. She worked with the culture piece at the play of the school that I used to work at. And so I called her and, and was talking to her, and we basically broke it down. We she broke it down into uh four questions that you should be asking yourself uh to to help yourself get into into the culture mindset and, and what's going on with your culture so the first question is if you guys want to go through them um is is what is it that matters to you what what is important uh and you have to be clear on what matters and what is important and you know you can you can Ask yourself, anything like what is it? Is it being respectful? Um, you know, being challenged, process. We talk a lot about growth mindset. Those are the type of things that you just want to be clear on what that, what's important, what is it, what are you doing for it? And so then the next question is obviously. Sorry, no, I cut you yeah. off.
1: What's what's one thing that's important for you right now for your culture?
2: Uh, hard work and respect. Those kind of come up consistently, and what those look for. Um, But those are those are like two cornerstones for me. Nice. It's just just the hard work and respect. Um, And then I can spend time trying to define them like I think you have to define them. Uh, And then again, the next question is, what does it look like? Uh, So spending some time asking yourself, like, what what is it that that looks like? Right. Uh, A little bit harder to.
1: What does it look like? Hard work and respect.
2: So, well, I have all kinds of examples. So hard work, we define it or I define it with my teams as paying the price with effort, right? So we'll do some goal setting in the beginning of our seasons uh, about things that they want to accomplish and everything. And then basically we continually touch back on, okay, are we paying the price to reach our goals? Like what price will it cost to reach those types of goals? And so then when we're talking about hard work, um, it can it can come in many different forms. It can come in like when maybe we're not doing a drill that's very hard physically, but we have to focus and get better technically. Uh, maybe we're doing a drill that's just flat-out cardio, and it's just really, really hard because we have to make sure we hit our spots in transition. Maybe we're doing something where we have to really focus on uh, the aspect of the tactics behind the game, like we what rotation is the other team in? Where do we want to stand? What's the game plan of them? What are we doing offensively? What's the there's all kinds of like things within each phase of the game that we'll define as hard work. Uh, And a lot of times, like I said, it ends up being focus. It ends up being cardio or whatever it is. So hard work can come in a lot of forms, but at the end of the day, it's, are you paying the price with the effort that you're putting into whatever drill or skill or game that we're participating in at the, at the time? How did that sound? That sound like I know what I was talking about.
1: Mainly. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I'll let I'll let it slide what do you hear tell me no i'm just
1: kidding no keep going
2: yeah so so that's but that's a big question is like what what does it look like so the easiest one to for hard work it's like if you're running uh suicide or if you're running back and forth just making sure that you touch the line that's a really really simple one um that i haven't had to deal with this year at all but there's also one uh like respect making sure that we're respectful um one of the ways that I say that we looked at after every single match, when you're shaking the team's hand, you make eye contact with every single person on the other team, no matter what, if you won, if you lost, you, you make eye contact. And that's just something that I I think shows respect. There's other examples of it. Um, The nice thing about it too, is once you kind of put a word out there that you say is important and then you define it, uh, the team and the players, it kind of has a life of its own. Some of the rules that come out of the things that are important I've learned a lot from my players where they define or they won't define respect differently, but they'll, they'll have different examples of what that respect looks like. And that's really important. Um,
1: what and, are you doing to model uh, both those hard work and respect? How, how are you living it?
2: Uh, that's a fair question. I don't think my players have ever asked me that. Uh, well, I try to be prepared. So coming to practice with a game plan or a practice plan that is thought out and, and thoughtful. I try to spend a lot of time with some sort of practice plan. So I'm not throwing it together, uh, a, a plan for like the whole season where it hopefully it's building on itself. So some of the hard work, um, they won't necessarily see me doing it, but they will see me, They hopefully they see the benefits of a well-organized practice plan. Um, and then also just making sure at tournaments where I'm scouting and actually trying to gather as much information as I can, and then presenting that information for game plans for them uh, before matches. So that's, that's some of it. And then just making sure I'm giving them feedback and trying to stay consistent and, and really just giving them my best effort as a coach, trying to get them better. You know, my, my goal is whatever goal they have, I'm trying to help them achieve it as fast as possible. So I'll do whatever I can to do that. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the two make sure I have a good practice plan. I'm sure. There's others, but sounds good. I never thought about, yeah. Uh, so the third question after, know what matters and then what does it look like is basically what what makes it challenging so i don't know if we spend enough time actually thinking about that right so what are the types of things that make it challenging every player is going to be a little bit different with maybe respect maybe they don't like to make eye contact because it's a cultural thing never had something like that happen but you can see how all that's going to be a challenge maybe we have to rewrite a rule or make an exception for that one person because of something like that? Do we have to do that? Um, do they have a home life that's challenging? Do they have some sort of heart palpitation? I mean, there's all kinds of things that might make things challenging. Um, naming those things, recognizing those things, and then coming up with a game plan to make sure that you say, well, okay, if it matters enough and there are some challenges, are we willing to game plan around those things uh, and really articulating what that might look like? I don't have any examples off the top of my head, other ones I get but Yeah, just what makes it challenging. And then uh, this one, I think, kind of ties into my next big rock, but it's the fourth question is, what are the skills and abilities that you have to develop in order to present those skills and abilities, you know, so just making sure if you say, well, respect matters, I don't think respect is necessarily inherent, we have to make sure that we're practicing those types of things, right. And so it's my job to help you gain the skills and abilities to grow in what matters to me. So if growth mindset matters. We talk a lot about trying to develop the tools to give to the players, to develop ourselves so that we can grow within that framework. Um, and so, yeah, those are the four things that, you know, I'm constantly kind of going back and forth. If I ever find myself in a challenging situation, it's usually like, okay, why is this challenging? Cause it's touching on something that matters to me and I don't necessarily know how to teach it or and so I have to go back and learn or figure out how to articulate something better or, you know, if, if I forget about something going through those questions and just being clear on those four things has, has, it's been fun. Cause I feel like I did a lot of that work in the past and now again, taking a year off and stepping back into it uh, with a completely clear slate, um, has been fun. Nils, so. uh,
0: thanks for giving the example on hard work for the respect. Can you think of any coaches that you've worked with that really modeled respect and kind of in what ways did they?
2: Um, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind, I wasn't prepared for that question. So I'm kind of going off spitball here, but the thing that comes to mind is actually, uh, Charlie Sullivan. I not Charlie Sullivan. Um,
0: Charlie Sullivan yeah. had no respect.
2: <laughs> no, no. He had, he had a lot of respect, but we also had a, a, a really, really good time as a coaching staff. So he, it was a really interesting balance that I, I still don't necessarily know exactly how he was able to gain the balance of, of, one, working really hard and being really respectful with the players and the coaching staff, but still being able to joke around, tease one another, uh, poke fun at the ideas that we were coming up with while still being in a safe environment to come up with ideas. You know, and I, I think it was just at the end of the day, he he projected the fact that he really, really cared about everybody and he would check in with you on a personal basis. Um, but it wasn't necessarily something that was super, super laid out and clear. I think culture work a lot of times is long-term work. So that in that case, we were with a team for like two weeks of training and then we went to a tournament for a week. So it was a really, really quick turnaround. So you're not necessarily going to spend a ton of time developing the culture you kind of have to go in with some a set of rules and be like hey this is this is what we're all about this is what we're moving forward and he didn't necessarily articulate that respect was important but he did model that behavior I'm probably just
1: nice and then you had um did you say you had one more big rock outside of uh, culture
2: yeah i did uh so the other big rock that i'm trying to get across my players is the idea of like uh playing under pressure or understanding the stress of that pressure. Um, and this came as an outgrowth for kind of exploring the two different paradigms of pressure that uh, at least in my understanding was basically the first one was the idea that, that pressure explaining to players that pressure is a construct in your brain and it doesn't necessarily have to exist. And so, creating whatever story we create about the score about the match about the the meaning behind that is what creates the pressure and if we can break through that you could potentially take a lot of the pressure away um, I think maybe there's something to that but I also think that's really 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 high level or even next level type thinking and I don't think I can I don't even fully understand that concept myself so I had to dive into trying to understand that, that pressure is a thing and are there ways to develop tools, mental tools and frameworks um, to either embrace the pressure or, or be able to play through or, or be at your best in those situations. Uh, so trying to come, come up with as many frameworks or as many ideas behind that as possible, I think, is really important. We talked about one a long time ago the uh, challenge versus threat mindset, um, is definitely one, uh, you know, the, the quote, one of the, my favorite quotes, I think it's a Jocko quote. Um, it says, people don't rise to the occasion. They fall to the level of the training. And I think that's really important in the idea of like, when you're in a pressure situation, you want to make sure that you have a good safety net of training. Uh, because if that is the, the, the bottom that you're going to hit under a pressure situation, so kind of giving the, the tools and the tactics to the, the players to help them understand, like when you're going back in a serve it, and it's twenty twenty four twenty four twenty five twenty four. 24, 24, 25, 24, if you miss this serve, you're potentially going to lose, lose the game, lose the match or whatever, recognize that and, and have some things in your back pocket to be able to play through that. I don't know if thinking about pressure going back there it's easy to spin out and think like oh i feel you know my adrenaline is up my heart rate's up i'm sweating i'm kind of freaking out and on top of that i'm i know on some level that i'm just telling myself a story and none of this should be happening i I don't think was helpful to me or to the players that i was trying to coach i couldn't really figure out how to coach that so yeah Yeah, the idea i
1: think it's a good topic to talk about pressure um I got to spend some time with uh, Bernie Holiday, who was on, on the podcast, the sports psychologist uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he talked about how kind of reframing pressure, that pressure is a privilege, uh, to be in situations where uh, you really care deeply about something is, uh, yeah, it's really cool that you get to be a part of something like that. And um, he was talking about how a lot of the way our body responds to nervousness, like our physiological responses... Are the same as uh, how our body responds to excitement. Um, so it's just preparing us to. Our body's basically pre- preparing us to be able to to perform a skill. Um, and a lot of those responses you you can't really control, but you can frame the way you look at it. Um, noticing the butterflies, noticing um, you know maybe handshaking like this shows I care a lot. It shows I'm excited. Um, and this is a really human, normal feeling. I think the other thing is playing under pressure is a skill. No one's born knowing how to do it. Some people maybe have um, some genetics that are more suited for playing under pressure, but we can develop the skill to play under it. And so, the more in practice we can we can practice with motor learning principles and practice in a game like environment, and maybe even make practice harder than the game. Then then players get those opportunities. Let's let's put uh, play a game where uh, you know it's twenty four all and uh, if you make a hitting error, you lose. And, you know, that all adds all sorts of pressure. And, and then you get practice in playing under it. And, and you get put in those challenge and threat states. So I think there's lots of ways to to get better at it.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, that's... And I love the fact that you can just talk about it and bring awareness to those types of frameworks. Uh, and I think those frameworks help a player a lot. You know, it's, it's, I wish I would have had some of those frameworks earlier on in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... John, let me ask you this because I always, I always kind of run into this where it's like I haven't yet been able to recreate the the game type of pressure that they feel. I can create a drill like that where it's 24-24 or pressure serving or something like that where the this the, the stakes are high, but it still never quite feels the same as when you're in a live match. Is yeah. the feedback that I get from my players so? I, I find myself a lot of times in matches bouncing back and forth between like the, the tactical feedback that I'm trying to get them to execute and trying to coach them up on, on this type of thing in the match so that we can then like to, to build on that so that each tournament, each time they're in those pressure situations, they're a little bit better, you know? Um have you yeah, found I you the, practice?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have the right answers. I think it's like the probably one of the biggest challenges as as a coach how can you not just create the like the visual stimuli like you know a game like serve and a and a game like set but the the stresses and the the senses that that a game brings and I, I think it's probably impossible to get to the same level. Um, so I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I have a, an, an easy answer other than I think talking to your athletes and saying the closer, you know, the more we care about this, the more this feels like the game, the more it's going to transfer. Yeah. And, you know, we'll put stuff on the line. Like, you know, we'll do conditioning some days after practice. And if you win this game, you get, you don't have to do conditioning today. And then it, you know, you feel the pressure and you feel the stress or, um, you know, the, the team that loses has to carry the, the med, the med kit tomorrow. And so I don't know, just try to find ways to add that pressure, but I think you can also do stuff with the score. Like, You know, hitting air or a a serving air, and then I think that starts to develop the that the nerves and the thoughts of letting your team down, making a mistake. So I don't know, Billy. Do you have other ideas?
0: No, it's really hard. I think, (laughs) uh... (laughs) yeah, it's hard to simulate the game.
1: Yeah, but but I think we can get we can get close and in the ballpark, and that's gonna. You're gonna get some experience feeling some pressure. It won't be the same, but you can get uh you can get some of the sensations and, and that's gonna you know give you some some transfer and, and get you somewhat ready for it. But yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's I think that's a big challenge for all coaches.
2: Yeah. No. And I I'm far from an expert on it. I'm just trying to uh maybe dive deep into it this season.
0: And Nils, April Ross isn't a big fan of your quote.
2: What was the quote? The follow the level of your training. <laughs>
0: no, no, she she would we were in the gym and it was written on the board and she was kind of making a comment about it needing an upgrade because she's like, I get what it's saying and you should prepare and train really hard, but like, don't tell me I can't rise to the occasion, which, mm. which I thought was kind of cool.
2: Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a different way to go about it. Um, I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from players either. I think it's also one of those things. It's an opportunity to, in a game have confidence in the fact that i've done this before you know if if i've done this in training i can do this in, the, in a real in the real situation you know i think at the most part most people unless you have like especially in a game like volleyball where it's continual you know and it's not one thing at a time i think there was there was that guy that won the gold medal on the ski jump and he didn't even it was like the the big air jump I don't know if you guys remember that it was in the Winter Olympics. I forget the guy's name, but he he did this big air jump and he landed some crazy jump that was just insane. And after they talked to him uh, in the interview, he, he basically said, yeah, I, I've never even tried that before. I can't believe I landed it, you know, and stuff like that, rising to the occasion on a one-off. Okay. You know, but I, I find it hard to believe that you can take a whole match. Yeah, it's hard to sustain
1: that over time. Right. But yeah, I think that can happen. Coach Fuller, are you there? You got some big rocks for us?
3: Oh, I'm here.
1: Oh, he's there. All right. <laughs> what uh, what do you got? What are you working on this for this uh, upcoming beach season for the Stanford Cardinal?
3: Yeah. So, um, so it all started last spring. Um, so at the end of the, each year, we have this anonymous survey that our department uh, gives to every student athlete, and it, it evaluates a lot of different things about the team and and the coaching staff and. It's anonymous, right? So the, the players can be really candid without any fear of repercussion or anything. And uh, a constant thread that, of feedback that I've gotten is a desire for more clarity and um, more direct communication. And and I've just been hearing it enough. My like, gosh, I really I need to get, get ahead of this. So um, my boss suggested that I talk to a fellow coach who was going through a similar struggle um, with with what they were getting feedback on from their team and peers and um, and and they this coach recommended a book called Radical Candor by an author named Kim Scott and she is I guess like a CEO coach um, I guess you could is what you could call her but so the um, <clears throat> the tagline on the book is Be a kickass boss without losing your humanity and the The two really pillars of being radically candid, as she as she calls it, are caring personally for those you work with, and challenging directly. and And I don't think I ever had a problem with caring personally, like in the most common sense. Um, but I, I was struggling with challenging directly and being um, really honest. And um, one of the one of the parts of that was like I I thought that by being really I you know in like the general sense kind to people was being a, a positive thing for them and and what this book describes is that that that's falling into the category of ruinous empathy and and she bro- breaks apart this concept really well. So imagine you have um, a line going up and a line going down and across. So just basically you have a, a cross, okay? And above, the the line going up is care personally, and the line going to the right is challenge directly. So if we have this this cross, you want to be in the upper right corner. And the upper right corner is radically candid. And we want to be radically candid and and. If we're caring personally and we're challenging directly, then we're doing that. And in, in the upper left is ruinous empathy. Don't want to be there. Lower right, we want is uh, manipulative insincerity, which we definitely don't want to be. And then the the sorry, that's the lower left, and the lower right, we have obnoxious ag- aggression. Hope you guys are keeping up with me. I know it's kind of hard to visualize. Yeah, B-
1: Billy was pretty clear which one he was. Which one are you, Billy?
3: <laughs> lower left. Your manipulative insincerity. Yeah.
1: No, I'm just kidding.
0: No, I like radical just candor, kidding, but not more kidding. Than, yeah, I'm not sincere about that. Um, <laughs> no, I like radical candor more than brutal honesty, and what we think of when we say that.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's like finding the sweet spot where you, and it's it's hard, right? It's it's a challenging thing to do, but if you can really love those who you're working with and be honest with them, then that's like doing the best thing for them, right? Like I love you. So I'm going to tell you what I think can help you out. And a big part of this is asking for it in return. And so, you know, a lot of our conversations with our players, I've just been asking them like, Hey, what, what can I do better? Is there anything that is is going on that you don't like about our dynamic and relationship? And I think when you walk out of player meetings, like if you haven't had any sort of conflict, it's probably not a very honest conversation. I I think that conflict is completely normal and, um, it's going to, it's going to happen in every player coach dynamic. So if you're walking out of those conversations and, and you haven't gotten into something even remotely confrontational, it's probably not that honest of a relationship.
1: What kind of conflict um, are you talking about? Is this like hand to hand to uh, hand battle, or what do we?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm just you know. So maybe there's a, a misunderstanding of of the way that I said something, and they a player not liking the way that I said it, and then um, players historically have like been really afraid to. Or, or, you know, in any power dynamic like that, they're afraid to bring it up like, hey, I didn't like the way that you said that to me. But we're really asking for that feedback of I want you to challenge me. I want you to to get clarification. And so I think that it is reframing that conflict is okay. It's not a bad thing Um, Mm. and that it's you're going to ultimately get to the core of issues um, a lot faster if you understand that conflict is fine and that it's part of a normal working relationship because I think that a lot of athletes um, in these in younger generations think that conflict is terrible and should be avoided and I'm definitely closer to that generation where I historically like have not wanted to be involved with conflict and have run away from it instead of seeing
0: the benefits of it. Andrew, you give a good example about how a player might have more candor with you. Um, what, is, what about an example of how you would have some like loving conflict with a player?
3: Yeah, I, I like, a, I like a, a good example is, um, hey, you're you are not going to side out at your best unless you max jump every time and that that might initially have like a bit of a sting to it but for a lot of players that's completely true like you you need to be max jumping or it's going to be really difficult to attack at your best um and and i think that this goes back to like if we are building bridges that are really strong in terms of the relationship with your players then they're going to be strong enough to bear the weight of of conflict and, and saying things that it's not, it's not emotive. It's not, you know, about attacking anyone's, um, you know, really personal beliefs or it's like, let's attack this behavior together. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, what know, do you, is that a good example?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. What do you, what do you do with, I feel like a common one for the athlete coach dynamic is playing time Mm -hmm. have you figured out kind of how to be direct in those scenarios?
3: I mean, look, we try to keep score on almost everything that we can and not necessarily like having a a pecking order that's always written out, but having a a conversation that is saying, Hey, look, you're, you're close to the bottom of the roster. Um, but I'd like to really see you improve and here are some of the things that we think you can do to to climb the ranks and put yourself in a position to 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 compete for us. And um, like being said, everyone else is gonna be too. So don't expect that like you just you get all those done and that you're gonna be in the lineup, but you are gonna be having a, a really high level of fulfillment um, and joy if you are being at your best.
2: Fuller, what about character problems girl just is mean or is very, let's say very self-focused. How do you have mm-hmm. a conversation about that? Yeah. I think talking
3: about the the effect that it has on their teammates, um, letting them know that, that we, we care about their development quite a bit and that it's not just about, you know, doing well on the beach volleyball court, but it's about, um, You know, how is this going to potentially affect your relationships down the road when you're out of school? And, you know, we'd really like to help you get ahead of that. Um, but I, I think it's, it's really about attacking the behavior and not the person. So, Hey, we, are we clear that we don't think this is a positive behavior? Let, you know, what's a, what's a negative behavior that you can imagine? Nils,
2: uh, somebody acting super entitled.
3: Okay. Like, I think that um, 99% of athletes you can get on board. Like, hey, this behavior of entitlement. Do you think that that is probably detrimental to team culture? You know, they're almost always going to be like, yeah, that that's kind of messed up. I think that's probably a bad behavior. Okay, well you're exhibiting that behavior. Um, This isn't against you. Let's attack this together. Let's find solutions together. Um, Tell me how I can help you. Um, but let's get ahead of this. So just be really clear about it, but also doing it with some care and love.
1: That's really cool. So have you been working on this all year and how, how's it gone so far?
3: Yeah, we, we really set out an intention at the beginning of the year to be on board with this as an entire staff. Um, and I've gotten really great feedback from my players. I think we've developed much closer relationships and gone through some stuff, um, where a big part of it is that developing trust in each other, that if there is an issue, it will be raised. And if there isn't an issue, then there's nothing to worry about. Um, and in the past when there hasn't been that sort of clarity, then you have some players who are maybe wondering like, Oh man, like, does, does the coaching staff hate me? Am I, am I being bad? And you know, they haven't talked to me about it. So I don't, I don't know what's going on. And, um, that is directly a result of me avoiding conflict in the past. Um, and so they had, they were justified in thinking that I was upset with them, but hadn't mentioned it. Right. So, now we just take the stance of, hey, if, if there's a problem, we'll talk about it. But if there's no problem, then there's nothing to be stressed about. And, and you can rest assured that um, if there is something, we'll raise it. If there isn't, we're cool. Um, does that does that answer your question?
1: Yeah. it. I think this is probably something a lot of coaches can um, empathize with. And I, I know for me, having hard conversations, having uncomfortable conversations uh, is not something i look forward to and it's something i prefer to avoid Totally. Uh, so it's also been one of my my big rocks that i'm working on uh, i think Brene brown has the line that clear is kind yeah uh, where it doesn't always feel that way initially um, but yeah to give someone clarity and to kind of break that ice uh, then it I guess if once you are direct, then you're able to get that place of kindness and they're able to have understanding. The other thing I felt is like, as I've identified this as something to work on, I view it as like, all right, I'm going to get a rep because uh, it's still hard for me, but I'm going to look for these yeah. opportunities so I can get, you know, a rep of practicing, having a hard conversation and I'm going to be able to learn something from it. So I'll, you know, try to seek them out more, even though I, I probably too, do avoid them too yeah. often. And John,
2: yeah. Uh-huh. John, what do you have an example of uh, potentially a hard conversation that you had this past season?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, some of the ones that come up that were biggest were either people that we didn't feel were a great fit for our program, that we were looking to get to a you know maybe not be a part of our program or or around playing time. I think those two have been the ones where I didn't want to have it. It'd just be easier to avoid it and keep them. In our program, um, but then eventually built up the courage, <laughs> and really had to to come up with a clear game plan on like giving examples of of you know why I felt the way I did, and was able to express it. And it's really hard to do, and really hard for them to hear. Um, but in the end, I, I want to do what's best for them and for our program. So it's one of those things you, you have to do.
3: Yeah. And thinking about that, John, it reminds me of a quote that I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned was from the book. Um, it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. And I think that takes a, a really nice collaborative approach where it's not about anyone's ego of, you know, being the the dominant voice and um, having the last word, but it's like, what's best for this team and, and this program. And, and then that kind of cuts through a lot of the the emotive factors that can, can get cloudy. Mm
0: -hmm. Andrew, that reminds me of a a quote. Um, do you want to be right or do you want to be married?
3: (laughs) Is that on your, uh, is that on your
0: fridge?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Backwards in the mirror.
1: Yeah. Andrew, do you have a, do you have one more big rock, or is that, is that yeah? Big? Okay,
3: no, I, I do. Um, I know I, I it's kind of two because care personally and challenge directly is two different things. But whatever, I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep going if that's all right. Yep. Yeah. So it's not based off, based off of a book. Um, we had an amazing guest with our team, and I hope that I can get him onto the podcast, and and hopefully he doesn't get too upset with with me butchering his research, but I'm gonna give it a whirl. Um, So we had a guy named Dr. Andrew Huberman who is a neuroscientist at Stanford and he runs a laboratory there um, that studies fear and um, state regulation, um, really amazing stuff. And he came and spoke to our team. He boiled probably like a four hour lecture down to an hour or less. Um, and you can see him on social media. He does like a post a day. It's amazing stuff. It's Huberman lab, H U B E R M A N L A B. And we asked him to come speak with our team and and talk about how his research is, um, salient in the, the world of sport. And he talked primarily about a concept called burn rate. And the idea of burn rate is that We have a limited capacity to focus intensely in any given day. It's a finite resource. And what are the ways that we as athletes or as coaches can dynamically control our burn rate? And um, the the two main factors, as I understood it, the, the easiest way to control our burn rate And our energy being expelled is through the visual system in our body. And the second way is through our our breath work. Um, This is working around the ideas of sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic meaning we're in um, a really high alert state. We have dilated pupils. Our vision narrows. And that's a really high burn rate mode. And then parasympathetic um, system is tapping into being more calm Um, better chemicals going on in our body and just general, better physiology. So we, the, the big, a big part of it is that neither one is necessarily better that you want to be in different ones for different things. Um, but that we, we can, and we should dynamically control our, our state and regulate our state. Are you guys with me so far? Pretty much yeah (laughs) all right so um he's he's pretty good at at speaking in layman's terms and i'm going to try and bring it back to that um so when we are in a high burn rate state imagine that you're you have binoculars on and your vision narrows and you guys can do this if you're you know sitting in a dark room listeners or hopefully not if you're driving though um so if you put up the binoculars um and I, and I know that I could really feel my physiology changing. I, your your focus narrows. You're really dialed in into what's in front of you, but it can be exhausting. And if you just held up your your hands in binocular mode for like an hour, um, you would be pretty darn tired because you just the way that it, it is affecting our body. And then so he talks about when we get into that mode, we need to regulate it because we understand burning energy too quickly and he talks about going in a panoramic mode. And so if you're sitting there, if you can look as far to the left and as far to the right and as far up and as far down and maybe even see your entire body in front of you all at once, this is called panoramic mode. And this is a way to very quickly um, go from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state, which is good. That's, that's the direction we want to be going in in order to regulate ourselves. So, you know, if your players understand that uh, a high state of arousal is detrimental to their performance and they need to downregulate, then this is a really fast way of doing that. And it's something that humans have understood for thousands of years, that looking out at the ocean has a calming effect, right? and for those of us involved in beach volleyball that's a that can be pretty accessible um you look out at the ocean in between points ah okay that's a nice little reset and then we put the binoculars back on for the next point it's not that we want to be playing looking in panoramic vision but the more we are able to understand when we've got the binoculars on and we want to switch out of it then we're going to be able to lower our burn rate um you know, kind of at will whenever we need it. And so it's some, something that we do at practice is when we see someone who is in a really high set state of arousal, encouraging that they just take a step back, take in the horizon, look as far as they can, um, off into the distance, and then come back and get a little bit of a reset. So that's through the visual system. And then through the the breath, um he talks about just a very simple way is that if you want to increase your state of arousal you want to inhale more than you exhale and if you want to downregulate you want to exhale more than you inhale so that's the really simple way of doing that um and then lastly he talks about voice modulation and that the people who are really world class burn rate monitors people who are like in special forces imagine like navy seals and green berets um these people really speak in hushed tones when they are working and, and trying to um, regulate their state. And so as a coach, there are certainly times where you need to be yelling, but um, you know, just to get the message across, maybe to people four courts away, but as much as we can, I think it creates a sense of calm um, and is certainly going to make sure that we aren't burning our energy as, as or too quickly. Um, just so that, w- just by doing your voice um, a little bit lower and, and more mellow. So, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Just constantly being aware of what my burn rate is, and do I need to be um, getting up or getting down, and um, and how is that affecting the people around me, my players and fellow coaches?
1: How uh, how receptive have your players been to it?
3: Um, mostly, very stoked. Um, you know we have a, a group of young players who are you know if you give them compelling research as to why something is positive then they're going to be on board with it um, and he was just uh, an amazing person to to get to learn from
1: that's awesome well let's get him on the show so we can uh, understand it
0: more deeply <laughs> yeah and more coherently
1: no, it's good. Well,
0: John uh, let's hear your big rocks
1: Uh, yeah, I I just have a couple and we, we covered the hard conversations one that Andrew really covered that well. That was a big one for me. Um, yeah, we had, we were lucky to have Bernie holiday come to LMU and, uh, evaluate my coaching and give me feedback on things that, that he thought was effective and that things I can improve on. And one thing that he noticed is I was using guided discovery a lot, which he thought was good. Uh, but he noticed I was using it most often after negative reps. So when someone made a mistake, I'd ask, what would you do there? Um, And so, yeah, they got used to answering that way. And I was helping them notice all their mistakes. And I think we we already have, as humans, we have a negative bias towards noticing all the negative things that happen. And uh, if we want to play at a high level, it's helpful to be confident and to notice positive things. So he was pushing me to use guided discovery more often. Uh, after positive reps what helped you do that how'd you how'd you do that um yeah take me through how you how you were able to hit that line shot so well and that way i can help them hunt the good stuff and help them notice their improvements and, and figure out you know how they can perform skills the way they want to and and it really hit home for me i was coaching uh betsy flint uh out, out in a practice for one of her her matches and i was starting to work on this and and I asked her, you know, I was, I was really aware of this. Sorry, I'm gonna, you know, after positive reps. So she had a, a positive rep, and I said, "Oh, what helped you there?" And her response right away was like three negative things. Oh, my first step was fast, and and so she had got so programmed to me asking her a question and answering kind of the mistakes. Uh, so that just it was great feedback for me. Wow, I, I've set her up to uh, expect that I'm gonna ask her about a mistake versus something she did productively so i re-asked the question i said no no i I asked what helped you and uh, yeah so that was a a helpful thing for him to point that out and i'm trying to do it way more often Uh, and love that term of hunting the good stuff we really push our girls to hunt the good stuff because there is so much good out there that
2: they're doing cool i like that did uh has betsy come around and started giving you positive feedback on things you should as well (laughs) uh She's very analytical, and she she will
1: notice uh, negative things. But um, yeah, I'd say a little bit. I think we still have work to do there. I haven't been out there as often with her recently as we're in LMU season. But uh, this summer, I'm excited to to do it more. And I've noticed um, definitely from our, from the girls, they uh, yeah they're, they're starting you know at first, and a lot of the times in film, I'll say, "What did you see there?" And they'll say three things that they saw that were negative. I say, like, what do you? No, no, no. What do you? What do you see that was productive there? What was good there? So, we're starting to point it out, bring awareness to to this idea, and and our athletes are starting um, to notice the good stuff and hunt the good stuff. So, I'm excited it's to keep a working great on that. Reminder. Yeah,
3: it can get so exhausting just looking for the negatives all the time as a coach. It's such an easy cycle.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's for me. It's way easier to to just go around and air correct. You know, you just, well, they did what they were supposed to do on that one. I don't need to say anything. They did something wrong here. That's easy. Now I can coach and I can point something out. I can point out mistakes. And I I think that's important. You want to be doing that. You want to help them make changes in fundamentals some of the time, but I was doing that way too much. And now, you know, when they hit a, you know, they've been working on a stretch shot and and they do it, then I will help to do that and to have them recognize it and, and to have them problem solve and figure out how they can do it again. John, goes I love way. the
3: new you. <laughs> so much more positive now.
1: <laughs> Not when I'm around you, but around <laughs> my team, yeah. But thanks, Andrew. And actually that reminds me, one of my it was one of my little rocks right there, I use sarcasm and I'm working on being sarcastic uh less often. Uh I've noticed that's like a default all probably when I'm uncomfortable or do you notice uh,
0: when you, especially when you get compliments?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, I'm working on saying thank you more when I get a compliment. Uh, but I a lot think of times you could I have
0: just asked your friends this and we
3: would have told you this. Yeah.
1: Maybe I need a therapy session with you guys. Yeah. I'll well, fix you, John. No, <laughs>
0: I think, you. yeah, I think, uh, sarcasm is huge. I know I struggle with sometimes trying to be funny at practice and it definitely sends mixed. It's not clear and you can get mixed signals. Yeah.
1: no, And I think sarcasm at times can be good. It's good to have some humor and in the right moments, I was just doing it because that's what I've always done and not very purposefully or thoughtfully. And so I've been trying to be aware of it. I still do it a lot, but now I'm noticing, okay, did I do that? Does that serve a purpose? A lot of times it just distracts from yeah, either a person that has sincere question or I could have had a, a real conversation or a vulnerable conversation or really shared myself. Instead, I just kind of deflect and say something funny. So I've been working on noticing that and, and changing that. Um, so that's another one of my my little rocks. Um, I guess my my last one. I have a lot of them, but I've been really on the Bernie holiday train here. He, he was with us and was on the podcast talking about uh, training and trusting mindset. Uh, basically, the, the people hopefully have listened, but basically training mindset is the mindset where you acquire skill so you're focused more on mechanics and then trusting mindset is the mode where you're letting the skill out and you're focused more on maybe tactics or strategy Uh, both mindsets are really important we want to acquire skill and we also want to learn how to let the skill come out of us Uh, i've coached in the way where i've been in training mindset mode most of the time and just given mechanical and yeah, probably overcoached people when they're in competitive situations. So I've been really working on, uh, making it clear with our athletes. This drill is a training mindset drill. We're acquiring skill. I'm going to be giving feedback maybe on, you know, a platform or uh, the way you load your arm. And then we're going to move on now to trusting mindset. We're going to, you know, we did all this work to acquire skill. Now let's go let it out and let's focus on some external targets. You know, you're going to try to serve there. Um, they're playing this kind of defense against you so this this offense could work and to just to get let them play free uh, as bernie would say play with some reckless abandon and to let their skill out so uh yeah this is a big rock that i'm still trying to wrap my head around and work on implementing more and figuring out what sort of feedback is most effective in these trusting mindset situations um but yeah i'm excited to be working on it and our athletes are working on it too. So we're kind of, you know, together saying, Hey, I don't, I don't completely understand this yet, but, uh, as a team, we can figure out how we can do both areas at a higher level.
0: And when you're coaching in maybe the second half of practice where it's more competitive and you're in that trusting mindset, is it a matter of just giving less feedback or is it just geared more towards strategy and outcomes?
1: I think there, is, there is a little less feedback at all. I think it also depends on the athlete. We've identified we have some athletes who would love to be in the training mindset and some who are only in the trusting mindset. So I try to be clear on that. If it's um, someone who's very naturally their default is to go to training mindset, um, then I'll, I'll make sure I don't give them any of that feedback and I really give them trusting mindset feedback. So I think it's a little bit of knowing that. Um, but I think you can still give plenty of feedback in those competition drills um, I'll ask more. You know, what helped you play so aggressively? Uh, how committed were you to to that cut shot there? Uh, what was your intention on this play? Just um, yeah. So I think there's lots of ways to still connect, and and I think there's some athletes like there's are still okay with getting some. Maybe if there is a a mechanical fix, they can take that in, and that's where we have this whole think box play box where you're in the think box maybe before the play starts and you're learning from the last play and maybe something with like your first step could change. But then once you step into the play box and the whistle blows, you're into that trusting mindset, uh, forward thinking sort of mode. So I think there's a way to, to balance this. Uh, But yeah, it's definitely an art and I'm still trying to figure it out as you can tell. Billy, you you want to take us through your, or do you have more? Sorry. No, I was going to say when you figure it out, let's know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably never will. Uh, Billy, you want to take us through your uh, your big rocks?
0: Yeah, and uh, I I approach this more as a player, um, so mine are all selfish. Um, but yeah, I had the same one for my my one is spending more time in the trusting mindset at practice, and um, less worried about maybe the the form of my arms and passing and some of the really technical feedback, and more just. Playing loose, playing with confidence, and trying to mimic some of the mindset I'd have in a game, so that the first time I'm getting reps, um, the first time I'm in that mindset isn't just at a tournament where I've only been in the training mindset, but I've been actually been practicing that way, and so I'm have more reps that way. And then, how's uh, it going so far? Good. I like it. I definitely. I don't know if it's because it's so new thought process but I definitely see feel like the results are better even if I'm doing a passing drill and Stafford serving me we'll do like one round where I'm definitely have a training focus um, and then I'll have a round where I'm just a little bit looser a little bit more um, open and like playing almost with curiosity and just like focusing on maybe a target um, and really watching him rather than thinking about what my feet are doing what my hands are doing and I feel like I get better results uh, from that trusting mindset so that's nice
1: <laughs> yeah it's good to hear yeah i think of the trusting mindset is this is the, when i focus on this i perform this skill at you know the highest level i can so getting clear like you know when i pass most people if they focus like on body parts and you know more internal movements then you're uh there's that paralysis by analysis so yeah just getting really clear when i pass my best i focus on you know, where I want to pass or even just like a feeling like I'm just going to be aggressive here. So it's good to practice that and figure out, you know, what, what focuses help you perform each skill the way you want to perform them.
0: Yeah. Because there's many times that I'd be in a tournament in a match and my thought process would be on like my platform and more technical focused. And, uh, yeah, I'm finding that maybe I have better outcomes if it's more just trusting and in confidence. Mm-hmm. um my other big rocks were more skill-based and that would be just areas of the game where we've identified uh room for some upgrades and that would be my serving and my transition offense and how are you uh, going about working on those um i think serving i think the big focuses are jumping hard hitting flat um, swinging through rather than stopping my hand. And then, uh, is that in the training mindset
1: or trusting mindset?
0: Um, that's in the training and then on the trusting side would be having the mindset to hit a tough serve, even after I've missed one or two, um, and and staying there with, uh, hitting a tough serve, not backing down just because I've had some errors. So
1: that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's, that's the exact definition of trusting yourself even after an hair and, uh, so you're having a level of commitment to being aggressive no matter what happened.
0: And I think that's something that, uh, it came out of a, it came, I probably knew it. And I, and I know that there's times where I'll serve with confidence if I've been on a roll, and there's times where I kind of more pop it in, but I think just having a, a meeting with you and Stafford and kind of having it clear on the table became more of a, a challenge for me, uh, just to have it out there rather than this, like maybe secret or something in the back of my mind. Tried to have a hard conversation with you. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, for transition, I think the, I guess the training focuses would be to dig high, to give myself time and give my setter time and then to come in slow to, slow to fast. Um, I guess the trusting would come with just believing that I'm going to put this ball away and this is a opportunity I'm going to seize. Sounds good. I'm excited to uh, see you work on this. Yep. Billy so, we want clo- to <laughs> uh, close
1: Billy 2.0. We want to close with uh, our favorite books of the last three decades. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Four decades. Jeez. I don't know. But, yeah, basically, just what our, our favorite uh, books. Uh, they have to be somewhat coaching related, right, Andrew? Um, well,
0: Andrew, what were, your, what were your favorite coaching movies again? Children yeah, of Men, Children, children of, of Men, men. That's
3: right, and Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a early, long erased
3: a coaching
1: episode for
0: that's that's old school. Close your brains up. Yeah, off. yeah. I, I actually do have
1: a book that's probably not. It's it's in that that range, but oh well. I'll oh, go yeah. first. Uh, I, I have too many books here, but um, the one that I've been obsessed with recently is Sapiens.
3: Which ah, you can't stop talking about
2: it. I know it's it's know. a good book. I actually I read that a while ago, and I just put it on my queue for an audio book because I'm going to listen to it as well. Nice. It's it's good. Yeah, I'm reading the second one, Homo Deus, and I'm oh. pretty much obsessed with
1: that author. Uh, You've all know Harari. I didn't even know he had another one. Yeah,
0: he's got three. It's about cyborgs. sapiens
1: is uh, the history of our species. Homo Deus is basically the future, and then his third one is the present. Uh, Twenty one lessons. But yeah, I think uh, Sapiens, if you want to learn more about humans, go read it. I highly recommend it. Just the one, John? Uh, No, you guys go. What else you got? I got more, but you go. Uh,
2: Well, okay, I'll go for beginning coaches because I had forgotten about this book for a while uh, and then it got reintroduced to me. I didn't reread it, but I do remember the framework and it's called Inside Out Coaching uh, by John Ehrman uh, basically he breaks down the framework of, um, the two types of coaches, as far as there's a transactional coach and a transformational coach and kind of the details in, in both. I mean, just that is kind of self-explanatory. I think a lot of what we're trying to do is the idea of, uh, transformational coaches. Um, but just that framework and the way he articulates it is pretty awesome. Hmm. Billy, what do you got?
0: I picked three that I read this last year, um, but two of them I'll say now because they're kind of similar. One was *The Compound Effect* by Darren Hardy, and the other one was *Atomic Habits* by James Clear. And they both—they oh, both deal with just little changes that you're going to make every day and how that'll start shifting you towards you know big outcomes. Um, I really liked *Atomic Habits*. I thought that gave a lot of. Um, strategies for developing habits and like really broke down in some really practical ways and the compound effect i didn't like the book as much but the concept i love um i mean it's kind of how i've been able to write a couple books in my spare time just doing a little bit every day um and just how important it is if it doesn't seem like much just turning that ship a little bit how it sets a the right course for you um so those are two that i would recommend
1: I think atomic habits I think we had both written read briefly before we wrote the Coach Your Brains Out book, and I remember thinking that was a little bit of a inspiration, not just the content of like how to create habits in your life, but uh just the way he structured it and like how I guess how accessible it was and how practical it was. It felt like you could really take those ideas into your life. and actually one <laughs> atomic habit I've done ever since reading that book. Once I retired from playing, I wasn't getting as much exercise. So I decided every time I turn the shower on while it's getting warm, I was going to do push ups. Started out with 15. Now I do like 35. But so every day I just knock out push ups and I get at least something in. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, and that's the big thing with that book is having those triggers. Like that's, that's how you can stay consistent and have habits. So yeah, I turn the shower on. Okay. That's
0: just what I do. I noticed you had to upgrade to a large LMU shirt now. Yeah,
1: yeah, watch
2: out.
3: Yeah, and the listeners are all thankful for that visual
2: too. (laughs) I'll send you a a pull-up bar to put in the doorway as well. Ooh, that'd be good. Fuller. Got to make sure you go for the balance, John. I will.
3: Uh, I already mentioned one, um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Great book for any coach, for sure. Um, And then How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan um really good book about um just learning about neuroscience and i think that's been really beneficial for me so um yeah
2: nils you got another one yeah you want i just go with the other three that i had so uh if again coaching if you're talking about culture and articulating it i don't think there's a better book out there than uh, what drives winning um i still that's my go-to, I carry it in my backpack pretty much every day, uh, when I go to practice. And then, um, I can think of one better (laughs) culture code. Uh, Coach your brains out. Come on guys. Oh yeah, that's true. I I was assuming that's the, uh, what
0: What drives winning is
2: great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the two (laughs) that I have, that are not necessarily for coaching one. Well, the one I read, it was uh, the coddling of the American mind. Uh, I don't know if you guys read that one yet. That was It was interesting as far as giving some insight into some potential like conversations I would have with players. You know what I mean? Some of the entitlements, some of the perspectives that players would have, it was more understandable after reading that book. Uh, so that was interesting. And then, I don't know if you guys have read it, it's uh, 12 Rules for Life, the Jordan Peterson one. I just like that book. He's he articulates things in a, in a very thoughtful way. Nice.
1: I have, um, I mean, I feel like the ones like that just go without mentioning, I wasn't going to say, but like heads up baseball has been a huge influence. I think on us. everyone should read that. Any book by wooden of course. mindset by Carol Dweck, but I didn't even want to go into those. Cause those are just sure. no brainers. Um, curriculum. Core curriculum. Yeah. These are maybe a little more off the beaten path. One of my all time favorite books. And I'm a big Abraham Lincoln Fanatic is a team of rivals, which is about him, basically him as a leader. And he brought in his cabinet was basically filled of people who had run against them and enemies and people who thought differently and how he worked with you know, all these different personalities and was able to uh, navigate one of the most challenging times in American history. And he's a guy who just like had like failure after failure, like lost this election Went bankrupt, lost a kid, and just persisted, and eventually became president. So, I recommend I, I recommend that for any uh, any leaders. What was the name of that one again, John? Team of Rivals. The yeah. uh, the book or the movie Lincoln was based off one chapter from that book.
2: Is, is that, that the
1: uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, Doris Kearns Goodwin, the uh, historian, wrote it. It's great. Nice
0: um abraham lincoln i'll I'll check him out
1: <laughs> you might like him i also for players i strongly recommend open the andre agassi uh biography i read that this year
2: there's a it was unbelievable
1: yeah it was really really good it's another one where like you think of this guy who you know one of the all-time like legends of the sport and then you read the book and it's like, loses this tournament, goes through this nervous breakdown, uh, plays wearing a wig, <laughs> <laughs> ends up in this qualifier tour, you know, just like, like loss and failure after failure. And, you know, here and there, there's a highlight, but hated tennis. Shows... <laughs> yeah, hated tennis. But just my... the challenges of
2: being what what we do, like in it.
1: Uh, yeah, the sports. You know, my,
2: my favorite quote from that book was Winning never feels as good as losing feels bad.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I recommend that one. Any others? We cover them all. I had, I
2: don't know what had.
0: Bullet Journal.
2: Bullet Journal. I have a lot of, of uh, parenting and father books if you want those recommended. No,
0: I have for years. I had uh, this year I read uh, The Bullet Journal by Ryder Carroll, and it's kind of just an organizational method of kind of going old school with a notebook. And he has this whole system for scheduling, journaling, Note taking, and I think it's your calendar. I think it's great for uh, for any coach because you're not going to miss anything. You enter it in, and then it's also a place where you can have journal sections, uh, post practice, um, or practice plans. Kind of have it all in one location. And I've been giving John a hard time whenever he he forgets about something when we have a podcast or practice every week that he's not doing his. I haven't come to the seminar.
1: Yeah, it's too expensive. The Uh, Billy Allen Bullet Journal Seminar. I'll
0: give you a little uh, friend price. Um, so that, that was cool. And he goes through a bunch of the first half talks about his method for journaling. And then the second half is more just, uh, yeah, about organizing your life. So,
2: yeah, take, I feel like the, uh, bullet journal with atomic habits is probably your productivity for two, 2020 right there. That's and why I'm, we're going to get good blood too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm way more into learning about productivity than being productive. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But if you ever do need to be productive, you know how to. So that's yeah, it'll that's, be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I think we did it. Wow. Happy uh, twenty twenty to everyone. Read some
2: books.
0: Mm-hmm. Have some big rocks. Let's all go learn. And let's uh, let's let's, ch- let's check in maybe at the end of the year and see how it's going and if we've mastered this and Andrew's gotten in fights with his players.
1: And- <laughs> Confrontations.